glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John 1, verse 6. Let's just go back there for context. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, as I consider this, it's interesting to me, John, the entire first chapters we've looked, deals with the subject of fellowship. And it seems as though the entire book is going to center around fellowship. As we transition into chapter 2, I think we'll find that that chapter heading is there because he really begins to deal with this fellowship as a family. Throughout 1 John chapter 2, he refers to the Father over and again. Repeatedly, he'll refer to the Father, the Father. And then he'll say, I write unto you little children. I write unto you fathers. I write unto you young men. And he'll talk about loving the brethren. And uh, he'll go on later in the book to talk about we love him that begat. We love those that are begotten of him. And so the idea is the fellowship of Christianity is a family under the fatherhood of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that. That's why we call each other brother and sister sometimes. Cults have borrowed that. Uh, Shame on them. They like to borrow biblical terminologies and counterfeit it to discredit it. But the truth is, John's going to describe that the fellowship we have is in the family of God under God as our Heavenly Father. And so if we're going to deal with fellowship, though, uh, you're going to find that starting in verse 7, he begins dealing with the subject of sin. Just out of nowhere, he says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If he's talking about fellowship, he's just said, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he'd said before that that he had had a personal experience with Christ. They had seen him, heard him, handled him, and they wanted that truly their fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and and their desire and his desires that those he was writing to might be part of that fellowship. So if we're going to be in fellowship with God, why in the world does John bring up sin? Because it is inherently understood that what broke fellowship with God in the first place is sin. If every person you talk to that says they have a good relationship with God is going to explain to you something about sin, they're going to have to. They're either going to say, well, me and God are on good terms because I'm not a sinner. Most do not say that. Others are going to say, well, God and I are in good terms because I have dealt with my sin appropriately. I'm keeping the commandments. I am doing this. I got baptized. I did this. Meaning they're going to say, I've done something to deal with my sin. Whereas some are going to say, you know what? I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he has dealt with my sin. And what John is saying is if you're going to have fellowship with God, you have to have something, some standpoint on your sin. And I believe, and we discussed it last time we were here, he's going to deal with how man primarily deals with his sin versus how God deals with sin. 
but it's, it is understood, it's even assumed that if you're going to have fellowship with God, something has to be done about sin because all have sinned and done what? Come short of the glory of God, meaning we are still distanced from God because of sin. So very simply, some of what I'm going to give you tonight is review. We're going to deal with the subject of sin tonight specifically because that's what 1 John 1, 7 through 2, 2 addresses as he's clarifying this fellowship that we've been called into, uh, the fellowship that God wants us to be in and part of. And I, again, I believe he's, he is seeking to address false teaching about sin. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't deal with sin correctly, then you misrepresent fellowship with God. Either God is okay with your sin and complicit with your sin, or God acknowledges that you are as good as he and you have properly dealt with your sin. And so John is explaining what must be done with sin. Got a question. We talked about this last time. In our nature, what do we do with sin? Naturally, when we sin, what do we do? We put it in the dark. That's what he's talking about, light and darkness. We walk in darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. I don't think it is any, not one stretch away from the context of the scripture and the meaning of it to say, if I am hiding sin in my life, I am not in fellowship with God, period. It doesn't mean you are not born again, but it does mean you are not in fellowship with the Father. You cannot walk in darkness and be in the light at the same time. Uh, so if I am concealing sin in my life, then I'm not in fellowship, we, and we address that. But tonight, let me just remind us again of the problem of sin. John immediately says in verse 7 again, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. He says we have fellowship with the Father not by concealing sin, not by contradicting and saying we have no sin, but by bring, coming into the light and acknowledging what we truly are. By coming into the light of God's word, he is light and in him is no darkness. God is not going to hide what is true. When Jesus Christ was on earth, he was a light everywhere he went. He revealed he revealed, he revealed. He is, a, he is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of our hearts by his word. And so John says God's dealing with sin is not to conceal it but to confess it. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the problem of sin is this, is that uh, sin has caused a, uh, a problem. The presence of sin amongst us generally and in us particularly has created enmity between us and God. Every person has enmity with God until they get saved. We meet people all the time who say, when were you born again? When were you saved? And they say, well, I've always believed. Define that for me. Always believed? And always believed, always believed what? Yeah, well, I believe there's one God. Well, the devils do too and tremble. That doesn't mean you've been reconciled. Enmity with God is to have some level of animosity or, or opposition to someone in our soul. Every person gets to a point where they have enmity or opposition to God because God has made rules that we have in our conscience and we know that we have violated those laws, causing us to feel that somehow he has wronged us. We have a problem with God. And that's the, that's the problem of sin. It created enmity. I want to I read some verses tonight on the subject of enmity, uh, if I may. Go to James chapter 4. First go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the Bible numerous times talks about the fact that our sin 
has created enmity uh, with God. I'm going to see if I can find this. I didn't write it down at this in this place. It's Romans chapter 8, so give me just a minute as I look to find where I want to be. Verse 6. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen to verse 7. Because the carnal mind... Now, help me here tonight. What is the carnal mind? The one I'm born with. The natural way of thinking. The carnal mind. Unless you're born into a Christian family. Is that right? Unless you attend an independent Baptist church. No, everybody has a carnal mind. Our natural mindset. The carnal... Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The point is this, John begins to deal with sin in 1 John 1 because the opposite of fellowship is enmity. It's the op- These are opposing terms. Enmity is to have conflict or opposition with someone because of a difference between us, whereas fellowship is to be in agreement. Enmity and fellowship are conflicting terms, and so we naturally or carnally are at enmity with God. So if you're in fellowship, something had to be done with the enmity. Something had to be done about the fact that we are conscious of having displeased Him, of having disregarded Him, and we are conscious that He is displeased with us. Uh, I've mentioned this more than once recently, but... Jim, I think I just mentioned it maybe even last Thursday night, but there are those that would say, uh, well, children want to, uh, want, their, want to please their parents. Children, most kids just want to please their parents. I told my wife, and I said here recently, that's not true. Children want parents to be pleased with them. And the same is true of us as God's creation. Some people say, I don't, you know, I don't want God to be unhappy with me. Now, some people don't care. They're rebels and proud of that. But many people say, yeah, I want God to be pleased with me. But that doesn't mean we want to please God. What we want to do is we want God to be pleased with whatever we do. Well, God loves me. He knows what I am. He knows I am but dust. And he wouldn't be displeased with me. May I say this? The problem of sin and the predicament of sin, it's present, but the predicament is this, is that our sin has caused us to have animosity toward God. Because we know as our authority, he is not pleased with our attitude, our thoughts, and our conduct. And you may come to that knowledge by four, five, six years old. You may not come to that knowledge till you're eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. But the fact is, in the conscience, there's enmity, and we get an offense at God for being displeased with us. And something has to be done about that. Repentance is this. When I realize that my enmity against God is inexcusable, that He is just and righteous for His displeasure and His purpose to condemn me, and having condemned me, He is absolutely justified because He's good and He's right, and my enmity is inexcusable and needs forgiveness, not not mere tolerance. Amen? That's what happens. We get saved, we realize God is justified in being angry with me. Who's God angry with every day according to Scripture? He's angry with the wicked. How many times? Every day. Unless you live in the 21st century, now God is all love and He's not angry with anybody. I want to tell you something. The Bible hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He's still angry with the wicked every day. My question is, does He have a right to be? Well, yeah, He ought to be angry with people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Yes, He should. And every conservative in America that curses His good name. Yes, He's angry. It doesn't matter. God, it's not like he's up there happy with the, you know, well, these people, yeah, they're wicked, but. No. 
unless I'm washing the blood of Jesus Christ, he's angry with me. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36, I'm talking about the predicament, the presence of sin. We know it's present. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that presence of sin creates a predicament. There's enmity with God, and then man is condemned by God. So we have enmity against him. We are opposed to him. We are upset with him. We are, uh, we are against him in our nature, and God is against us. John chapter 3, verse 36. John chapter 3. Back up to the... These both are very well-known verses, uh, John 3, uh, 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the what? The wrath of God abideth on him. In Romans chapter 1, I believe it is. Romans chapter 1. Again, bear with me. I did not write this down, but speaks of the wrath of God against those that are ungodly and unwicked. If you find that, you shout it out for me. I'm scanning here for it. I wanted to read it, but I didn't write it down. I'm sorry. 18, thank you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. One more place, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, the Bible says uh, in um, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness, we're in Ephesians 5, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now verse 7 says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. The presence of sin creates a predicament. That is, man is at enmity with God, and God's response to man's enmity is God's wrath is on us for that. How do you have fellowship with someone that his wrath is against you? Do you? How do you have fellowship with someone that has enmity with you? Uh, so let's say uh, Braden decides he's going to take the vehicle out, not his own, but mine, and take it on a pleasure ride, a joy ride down the road. And he goes and he buries it out in the ditch and says, whoops, I hate that happened. Jumps out, walks away, walks back home, hangs the keys on the hook, Hey, Dad, how are you? Good. Uh, you seen the car? Uh, I, yeah, I've seen it. Where is it? Uh-huh. We got fellowship. You don't know. Uh-huh. What, what do you mean you don't know? Uh, by the way, Braden's one of these crazy drivers zipping up and down the road. Not really. So, uh, where's the car? Well, it's in the ditch. How to get there? Uh-huh. What happened? Well, I wanted to take it for a ride, and I did, and it's in the ditch, and I couldn't get it out. I figure if you want it, you can go get it. I'm going to have wrath, and we're going to have enmity. Is that fellowship? No, it's just like light and darkness, enmity and wrath. So the point is, John says, there is an inherently present sin that creates a position of enmity and wrath. I mean, he doesn't spell all that out in words, but it's known. John's writing what man knows, and what religion does is seeks to deal with man's sin to establish fellowship. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, 
And when it comes to the predicament of sin, we know that if there's going to be fellowship with God, the sin problem, that which creates enmity in us and stirs wrath in him, must be resolved. Yes? Man has always had basically... Uh, a few ways to re- a couple of ways to resolve his own sin. There must be purification. That's why John deals with the cleansing of sin. We know that sin is the source of enmity and the source of his wrath, and therefore there's no fellowship because of sin. Man's religion or man's solution to sin is twofold. We won't turn there for time's sake, but in Genesis chapter three, verses seven through thirteen, you find man's twofold solution to his sin. Number one is concealment. Concealment. When I've sinned, what I do is I seek to pretend I have not. That's exactly what John deals with here. He deals with man's twofold solution to his own sin. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know what that is? It's concealment. I don't have any sin. Did you sin? Not me. I have none. It's concealment. That's not true. Verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, meaning we're in denial. No, I didn't do it. You know, it wasn't, I don't think that's sin. You know, you know I, I was justified. Man has twofold concealment. You remember Adam and Eve, and I think I mentioned this last week, but they did what in the Garden of Eden once they had sinned? Once the fruit that was forbidden had been taken and eaten, they saw themselves, knew that they were naked. What's the first thing the Bible says they did? They went and took fig leaves, covered themselves. Then they hid themselves. Meaning, I looked at it this evening, after putting fig leaves on, they still knew that wasn't enough, so they hid in the bushes among the trees of the garden. And God came walking among them. And Adam, where are you? Not because God didn't know, but because Adam needed to confess. You know what the problem is? Adam and Eve had enmity against God. They knew they had disobeyed him. They knew he was displeased. And their solution was, we'll act like we didn't do anything wrong. They didn't run to God and say, God, we know you're good and we know you're merciful and we know you're kind because we've been walking with you every day since you created us and we have confidence in you that if we'll tell you, Lord, let me tell you what we did. That old serpent came along and I believed his lie and I disobeyed you and I don't know what to do, but I'm asking you to fix it. Is that what they did? By the way, it's not what any person in this room naturally did with your sin either. I watched my little children try to pretend and and, and convince us we have not sinned. They go through a season where they try really hard to show they're good kids. And they're not. They are natural, born sinners at enmity with God. I don't care if they're Bible reading every day. From the time they're in the womb, they still, there's just a greater sensitivity in the conscience. Now, now I really know God is upset with me. And what happens is we get upset with Him for being upset with us. What fools we are. Adam and Eve hide in the garden thinking... If God doesn't see us, he'll never know. You know what they did with their sin? They went in the dark. If we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship, we lie. <laughs> they, they conceal their sin by trying to cover themselves. They hide in the bushes. What they're trying to say is we didn't do anything wrong. Maybe if we hide from God, got a question, were they in fellowship? They were not. And when God confronted them because of his wrath, their enmity, what God does not wear at enmity is he doesn't pretend we're not. He confronts us. God is not like many of us who pretend we're happy when we're not. He doesn't put on a, f- a front and, oh, oh well, it's okay, it's okay. No, he'll confront us. He said, what hast thou done? And Adam said, the woman. Well, what about you? The serpent. Two, I said, there's two, two things. We conceal and we contradict. We say, I have no sin. Concealing. And I have not sinned. Meaning we blame someone else. 
May I say this tonight without any equivocation. My sin is solely my responsibility. I am responsible for my sins. I don't care if somebody helped you get into sin. You're the one that commits it. You're the one that's responsible. It is between you and God alone. Amen? Now, if somebody helped you sin, their helping you to sin is between them and God. Did the serpent help Eve sin? Did God deal with him for that? But did Eve have to obey him? Did she? No, she didn't. She was deceived, but she didn't have to. Did, did Eve entice Adam to sin with her? But Adam had to answer for himself, didn't he? My point is this tonight. Man deals with sin in a twofold manner, concealment and contradiction. Either I'm going to act like I didn't, I'm going to tuck it behind me somewhere and pretend I'm something I'm not, or I'm going to say it wasn't sin, it wasn't my fault. Got a question. How successful is that in cleansing sin? Who can say I've made my heart clean, I'm pure from my sin? I've never met anybody. I've heard some that say it, but it's not true. In saying it, they're continuing in sin. It's a lie. I made my own heart clean. No. no. So my point is there's a problem. Sin is present. Sin creates a predicament of enmity and wrath. But God uh, has made way, and we'll deal with this in more detail on our final point, for our purification. Man's solution is take it into the dark. Conceal it. Act like it's not sin. Blame someone else. Put it in the darkness. All false religion, this is what they do with sin. We conceal sin behind ritual. We conceal sin behind um, emotionalism. We conceal sin behind outward worship. Outward worship is fine if it's connected to inward worship. Spirit and in truth, right? But my point is this. False religion does nothing more than conceal the real problem. That's why it is likened to, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, filthy rags. All of our righteousnesses, meaning all the things we do to conceal our sins, are as filthy rags. You know what filthy rags do? They don't actually make the sore and the filth go away. They just conceal it. How many of you would like to have a a bandage from someone who's had uh, burn treatment? Anybody ever seen burn treatment? Brother Pope, you've seen it. (laughs) It's nasty. The, The sores run. So what happens is, so I remember my brother, he fell in a fire one day, uh, hand first. When I was about five, he was about seven, he tripped over the fire and, oh, and it was hot coals, ooh, second degree burns. And they wrapped that thing in white gauze and they would change the bandages every day, if I remember correctly, ever so often. How many of you would like to get those bandages wrapped up in a beautiful present at Christmas time? Now that's like us presenting to God the things we do to try to convince people and ourselves that we're not sinners. And we have, this crowd understands this, but we need a fresh reminder. Sin is never dealt with by pretending it's not there. Sin is never dealt with by making excuses. Sin is never dealt with by uh, shoving it someplace and hiding it. That will only make it grow. It is no way to deal with sin. God will never honor that means of dealing with my sin, hiding it from people, concealing it in my own life. That is not God's way, concealment and contradiction. And by the way, if we get in the habit of concealing, next thing you know, we're confronted, we contradict. Someone says, did you do this because you get caught and get found out? Well, yes. Well, that's sin. Well, you don't understand the circumstance I was under. You know what we're doing? I've not sinned. But if we say we've not sinned, we lie, and the truth is not in us. You see, what God's saying is God has only one way to deal with sin, that's truth. We must be honest. How many of us remember Achan? 
Achan looked on a Babylonish garment, a wedge of gold, and he said, boy, and he'd been told clearly not to touch it. But he just had to have it. And he coveted it, and he took it, and what did he do? He put it right out in front of his tent and started telling me, look what I found. Come on, hey, hey, look what I got. Is that what he did? Why not? Why did Achan put it under his tent? Because he had enmity. He knew. See, God gave us all this little thing called conscience. He knew what God had said to do, and he knew that he had failed to do that. He had disobeyed directly the commandment of God, and so he took his disobedience. He said, I know, I'll put it in the dark. And he stuffed it under his tent, and he hid it from man until God found him out. And when he got found out, did he say, when they said, well, we got trouble in the camp. We had 30 men die in Ai. Achan says, I know why. It was me. No. Not until Joshua said, thou art the man. And then finally... Finally, when he'd got, when there was nowhere else for him to hide, he finally says, well, yes, I saw it and I coveted. And, you know, Achan never repented. He agreed that what he did he shouldn't have done, but he knew that in the first place. He concealed his sin and did it succeed? I'll remind us again what we looked at last week, Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. If you can cover your sins and prosper, God is a liar. God says, man's way of dealing with sin is to say, I have no sin. I have not sinned. Concealment and contradiction. But God says, my way is confession and cleansing. Don't put your sin in the dark. Bring it into the light. Don't ever pretend to be something we're not. Amen? Don't ever live two lives. We're to be what what we are. You say, is she just to live a sinner openly? No. God wants our sin dealt with. It has been dealt with once and for all. We'll get into that in just a moment. But God's solution is confession and cleansing, meaning instead of tucking it in the darkness, bringing it into the light, be honest. How hard is it for us to admit what I did is actually sin in the sight of a holy God? Even though we know it, how hard is it to actually say so? How hard is it when we know we've been deceitful to say, Lord... You know, last week someone asked me this, and I answered this so they wouldn't know what the real truth was, and 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 I misspoke. I um, I was not honest. Uh, I I lied. Well, hard. You know, it's not hard to say that guy lies. He's a liar. But to say, God, I'm a liar. Not hard. Why is it so hard? It's true. Because it's God's solution, and there's enmity. You see, God says, here's my solution, First John 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, what? Cleanseth us. He said, I want it off of you. I want you purified from your sin. I don't want it concealed. I want it cleansed. I don't merely want it covered. I want it gone. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, if you'll do it God's way, you be honest about your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse them. Your way, conceal and contradict. God's way, confess and be cleansed. You know what? The Lord Jesus told us in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free, we're going to see, set you free, is that forgiveness gives freedom. Forgiveness liberates us from the hold of sin. Listen, as long as you're hiding sin, you've got to serve that thing. How hard is it to keep sin hidden? 
You know what? Hiding sin will make you, boy, I tell you, it'll develop your mental ability. Because you've got to think real hard how to cover all your bases and make sure you don't get caught. You know what you're serving? Every time you have to, you know, conceal something and get real intelligent about keeping something hidden, what are you serving? Your sin. What is it that's eating your soul with guilt? Your sin. What is it that plagues you day and night thinking, is today the day I'm going to get caught? Is today the day I'm going to have to start suffering consequences for the wrong that I've been doing? I'm going to tell you what, you confess that thing to God and call it what He does with the heart that He has toward it. Say, Lord, I know that Jesus died to pay for that sin and I'm just getting honest with you. I am rotten to the core and this is the proof of it. God says, you be honest with me, I'll forgive you. That's God's way. John's going to talk about forgiveness and uh, right here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I have news for you. It blows my mind in my own life how God has shown me a time. Nevin, you are trying to impress me. You, you and I cannot impress God. We cannot. The only thing that impresses him is when we say, I have no hope but your son, Jesus Christ. Outside of that, I am filthy to the deepest core. And friend, that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. And so what John is saying is, and I believe it's dealing with false teachers that were coming in who felt that they had a handle on sin. He says, look, if you have sin, it is not dealt with by concealment and by being part of some elite class who have some superior knowledge. What you know is that you're a sinner and that God has provided for the forgiveness of your sins and the cleansing of it through the blood of his son. So man's solution, conceal and contradict. God's solution, confess and get cleansed. And so then that's the problem of sin. Let me get very quickly into the second part here in chapter 2, verse 1, the prohibition of sin. John, I, want, I believe, wants to clear the air. That's why I say it's clarification on fellowship. He's dealing with the subject of sin, First John 1, 7 through 10, man's solution, God's solution. And he says, verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. He said, I'm not talking about confessing sin to give you a license to sin. I've heard people, I've heard of young people who were living in gross immorality while being members of churches and going on youth outings. And they said, well, after we would sin, we would just quote John, 1 John 1, 9 and claim that promise that it's not why 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible. So you can continue to say, well, Lord, you said the blood of Jesus Christ, your son, cleanseth me from all sin. So I don't like doing this, but I have forgiveness. No, John said, I'm not writing this to you to give you a liberty to sin. I am writing this to you ultimately to show you and teach you to not sin. If you and I can get a hold of the forgiveness and the cleansing and the position we have as God's children, the result is victory over sin, not license to sin. My little children... These things write I unto you that ye sin not. He's going to give some a lot of information in 1 John about the position of the believer that is eternal, that is settled, that we can be sure of. The assurance of your salvation will give you victory over sin. The assurance of your position in the family of God. May I say this? You do not stop sinning so that you can be a child of God. You turn from sin because you're a child, a child of God. Victory over sin is not obtained by trying to become one of God's kids. Victory over sin is by knowing for sure that I am one. In my own personal life, I never started getting real victory over sin until I got it settled deep in my soul. I am a child of God, and no child of God should be living the way I am, and I know that. And what happened is God says, you're my child, and that's never changing, and I don't want you sinning. Amen? Romans 6, 1 and 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue, continue therein? The idea was, John says, look, I'm giving you a prohibition. I am not writing telling you about the cleansing of Jesus' blood and the fellowship you can have through confession to give you a license to continually confess and commit. I'm telling you this so you can have victory over sin. Now consider in his prohibition, his audience, two things, his audience and his admonition. Who's he writing to? My little children. These things write I unto you that ye sin not. There are those who teach a sinless perfection that you reach a point uh, when you get saved. Number one, you're in the sight of God without sin, so you're sinlessly perfect. Your old nature is gone. If that was true, why would he need to write them that they sin not? Why do we need any instruction not to sin if we can't? If I can't sin, then just let me live. Don't tell me not to. It'd be like telling me, Nevin, don't ever reach six feet. I won't. <laughs> Ain't happening. Nevin, stop growing hair. I wasn't planning on it. It's not going to happen. That already happened. If you told me to quit growing so much hair so thick, I would say, what kind of a joke are you telling? That's not a possibility. You don't tell somebody not to sin that can't sin. John's saying, my little children. Why does he use that term? These were young Christians. People young in the Lord who had just received salvation had come to faith in Christ. He'll refer to little children numerous times in chapter 2. Little children. He said, my little children. He said, I have a responsibility for you and I'm telling you about the matter of the cleansing of your sin and fellowship and the, 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 uh, the, the power of the blood of Christ to cleanse you so that you get victory over sin. The whole context of this is that ye sin not. That's why I'm telling you this. So there's a prohibition to little children, meaning they're in the family of God. They've been born again. Romans 8, 16, and 17. I'll read that very quickly. Romans 8, 16, and 17. I'll probably stop here after this point. We'll pick up here next week. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. When he says, my little children, this tells us he's not telling... There are some who say 1 John 1, 9. There are even Baptists today teaching, well, that's written to the unsaved so they'll know how to get saved. May I say this? You've got to get open and honest with God uh, about your sin. But you realize to get saved, you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You've already agreed with God you're a sinner. Somebody says, to get saved, you've got to confess all your sins. No, that's not what the Bible says. Now, you do have to confess you're a sinner, and you may be confessing sins, but how many of you knew all your sins when you got saved? What you've got to confess is that as a sinner, Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. You've got to be repentant. Don't misunderstand. But 1 John 1, 9 is not written to lost people. It's written to the saved. 1 John 2, 1 is written to little children. He's not, it's, John's not writing to his little kids. He's, he's, he's old by this point. He's talking about his spiritual children, those in the family of God. So Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the... Children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. Meaning, as John deals with the problem of sin, he is dealing with the problem of sin as it relates to believers and how we think about our sins past and present, how we respond to it, how we address sin in our life, not as it relates to salvation, but as children with the Father who have fellowship. He said, my little children, you're in the family of God now, and it's important that you understand how to address sin in your life. Now that you're a child of God, I want you to sin not. I'm writing unto you as God's children. You know what he's saying? Man, son, the position of a child, is that a settled one or is that fluid? Well, today I was the son of Gary and Tammy Neal. Now, tomorrow I may not be. Because if I don't represent the family name well, I'm no longer their child. Well, they may not say I'm not, but that's a settled position, isn't it? 
God deals with us, says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're in the family of God. Job didn't say, you who are trying to become little children. No, he's saying you have a settled position. You're children of God. And so his audience are the children of God, little children. And he said, these things write unto you that you send not. His admonition is, I am instructing you and giving you some doctrine that's going to help you overcome sin. And I say this, it is the will of God for the children of God to sin not. Let me read you some verses very quickly as we conclude. Go, if you would, to uh, John. Uh, John chapter 5. We already referenced Romans 6, 1 and 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now, John chapter 5, Jesus here has healed uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda. He's going to give him some instruction after his healing. He doesn't give him instru- this instruction before he heals him. He gives him this instruction after. Note this each and every time. John 5, uh, verse 13 says, And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, so he's already healed. He's already received the miracle and the blessing. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and say, said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. What's he say next? Sin no more lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now, he's not... I heard somebody say it this way. We will not be sinless until we get a new body. So the instruction of 1 John is not to be sinless, but it is to sin less. Not, well, I'm sinning less today than was yesterday. Meaning, God wants you to have victory over sin. And by the way, it's not a, a dream out there that you know, the idea of, of conquering sin... By the way, you get victory over this sin, then God's going to turn the lights on and show you another one to work on, Right? We're not talking about sinless perfection, but victory is possible, and not only possible, it is expected. So after the miracle, and by the way, both times when Jesus tells someone, sin no more, it is after they've already received the benefit of healing. He doesn't say, if you promise to sin not, I'll heal you. No, he blesses them with his grace, and then the grace is a motivator to obey. Make sense? In this sense, it was the miracle of the healing of one's body. In John chapter 8, verse 11... It is the forgiveness of a woman for the act of adultery. John chapter 8, you know the story. The woman caught in the very act. We don't know what they did with the man. He got a pass. (laughs) But they do get the woman to try to trap Jesus. And you know the story Jesus writes in the dirt. And boy, I don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, they knew what he wrote. And they, being convicted by their conscience, went out from the eldest to the least. Instead of repenting, they just went off into the darkness. But here's a woman. Hey, she's in the light. Does Jesus know what she is? Does she know that Jesus knows what she is? Can she hide it? Not like them. No, they're hiding it under their cloaks and their robes. And they're all in the dark, but there she is in the light. John chapter 8, verse 10, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? She said, No man. Lord, Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Whatever reasoning I have in my mind as a child of God that makes me think it's okay to keep on sinning, I'm deceived. Well, I can't help it. That's either you're lost or you've believed a lie. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That verse is not conjecture and it is not rhetoric. It's fact 
What happens is Satan convinces us you have to sin. God says, no, these things write unto you that you sin not. It is God's will that we stop sinning. That's what we were before we got saved. But now I am positionally righteous. So as a righteous person, God wants my practice to match my position. If my practice doesn't match my position, am I no longer a child? No. John says, you are children. Little children. These things write unto you that you sin not. He says, look, you're children of God, and what I am saying to you and what I have said to you about the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ is to enable you to overcome sin that you sin not. How many have ever said, met someone who is Armenian in persuasion, meaning they believe you have to maintain your salvation or you lose it? You meet someone like that and they say, oh, you're one of those who you believe, and what's the term? Once saved, always saved. Well, yes, I do, actually. I believe that because he called the life he gave me eternal. I believe that. But what is the number one argument against our position of eternal security in Jesus Christ? Well, doesn't that just allow you? Yeah. Right. You realize John, I mean, the, the theme of the book in John is instilling confidence in the believers. He is seeking to instill confidence in them. You don't need some secret knowledge. You have everything you need in Christ. You don't need some way to conceal your sin through some high intellectual reasoning. What you need, you have, and that is your position in Jesus Christ through faith. You need nothing else. You are little children. He doesn't, again, he's, he is assuring them of their position. The, the message of John is the opposite of what the Armenians said. You're giving people a license to sin. John says, if you can really understand God's salvation, it will give you liberty to overcome sin. These things write unto you that ye sin not. We're going to have to stop there tonight. Next week, we'll get back into some more things about sin. So we've dealt with the problem of sin, 1 John 1, 7 through 10, the prohibition, 1 John 2, 1. Next week, God willing, we'll consider the potential to sin, if any man sin, <laughs> I mean, anybody can, and then the provision for sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Aren't you glad tonight that God didn't say, if you can't fix your sin problem, you and I can never have fellowship? Aren't you glad God did what was necessary to fix your sin problem? I want to tell you something. We are on a Thursday night, independent, fundamental, Baptist church. And a number of these children in this room are my own children. But the human beings in this church have as much of a sin problem as anybody else does. And we need the solution as much as everybody else does. And we have it. You know what the blessing is? We have it. If you're saved tonight... You have an advocate with the Father, and I'm so glad for that. Once you get that settled and you understand what Christ has done for you and that he's never going to break his promise, we're in covenant with God through Christ, that motivates us to say, you know what, if he did that for me, then I want to live my life to please him. Mm -hmm.